are going to give you the blueprint. Exactly what you need to do to solve your most troubling problems. Unlock the awesome power of you. James Whitaker is here. Plus, in our No Dumb Questions segment, we're going to answer one of the most Googled money topics, public service loan forgiveness. We'll explain what it is. And we'll take a seat at the kids' table. Best way to get your kids thinking about the future, way future, saving for retirement. All of that today on the 7 Figures Podcast, sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. There are a ton of options out there, and I am truly grateful and honored that you are here. I want to get you feeling comfortable about your money, get you to the point where you get it. You know exactly what's going on. You never feel like someone's talking down to you, even if you don't earn a lot, or maybe you do. You know what you need to do with the money you do bring in. And when you have it all organized in your head, you will feel ah, that sense of security, knowing that everything's going to be okay. Before we give you the blueprint to getting everything you want in life, unlocking the awesome power of you, let's start with no dumb questions. Welcome our CFP at the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management, Erica Cummings, now onto the show. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I love this. Okay. Because there really is no dumb question. So. None. None. And this is a really good one. Actually, a lot of people don't know about this one. Well, yeah. What? How funny. I Googled what are the top money topics that people mm-hmm. are Googling. And uh, public service loan forgiveness popped up. Yes. So uh, public service loan forgiveness is a program that was created a couple of years ago. So it's actually, um, well, I shouldn't say a couple of years ago, but actually the first, the first kind of round of this started a few years ago. So basically it's, it discharges any remaining federal student loan balances after a borrower makes 10 years worth of payments. So the very first people became eligible in 2017 because it began in 2007. So essentially, It's a federal program designed to encourage students to enter careers like firefighting, teaching, the government, nursing, public interest law, the military. So these are all kind of public service type employment. And essentially, you must make 10 years worth of payments on your loan. So we all have student loans. But if we go into one of these fields, you make 10 years worth of payments while working for the government or a nonprofit. And then you can qualify for tax-free forgiveness. No matter how much is left? Yes, no matter how much. So basically, wow. I think only about 1% of the loan of the forgivenesses have actually gone through because there are a lot of rules, okay? So I'm going to go through them really quick. But you have to follow the program to AT. To AT. Mm. So first of all, you have to have the correct type of loan or you have to consolidate them. So the only loans that are part of the federal direct loan program are eligible. So you can have private loans. So they all have to be through the federal direct loan program. You can consolidate. So let's say, remember the Perkins loans that we had or you know federal family education loans, you can make them all eligible. You wanna do it as soon as possible because the 10 years only begins when you're when it's that type of loan. Ah, okay. So you don't get credit basically. You have to work full time for a qualifying employer. Qualifying employer means government organizations at any level, 501c3 nonprofits, AmeriCorps or the Peace Corps, 
nonprofit organizations that don't have 501c3 status but provide a qualifying public service as their primary purpose. So really, you want to complete an employment certification form to confirm that your employer actually qualifies. Mm. Once you do all that, you must work for them full-time, which amounts to at least 30 hours per week. If you work part-time for two different qualifying employers and you average 30 hours a week, you might still be eligible. You want to make sure you keep all your records because sometimes, believe it or not, the government gets it wrong and mm. don't they don't have <laughs> something on file for you. I've had people that have said to me, I have my social security statement and I'm missing several years worth of income. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want to make sure this is this is all on you to make sure that you keep track of everything. You also have to switch to what's called an income driven plan. So when we repay, some people have just a, a stated amount that they have to repay for X period of time. In order to qualify for this program, you have to be on an income driven repayment plan. That means that Every year, you have to show how much you're making, and then your payments are adjusted accordingly. Now, for some people, that's really good, especially when they're first starting out in, in their employment, because generally speaking, we start out with lower wages than we do later on in life. But every year, if, that, if your wages go up, then your payments will go up. Once you're done and you've made 120 loan payments for the full amount every single time, on time and they have to be on or after october 1st of 2007 while you're working full-time for a qualifying employer and you have all this stuff then you can apply for forgiveness it, it does work if you do follow all of this okay and just a side note because we obviously have had all kinds of different relief programs during covid yeah if you are seeking, they call it PSLF, you don't need to make payments until the extended automatic forbearance expires. So we have that right now for COVID that you, you have a forbearance on your loans till December 31st. Mm -hmm. As long as you're still working full time, those nine months, let's say that we've had, let's say you go the full nine months of no payments, they do count towards the 120 payments. Okay. So you're getting nine months for free, basically. Okay. Got it. Erica, how can we find you and follow you? You can find us on our website, which is harmonyfinancialwellness.com. We are also on Facebook by the same name. You can sign up for newsletters and our webinars. If you send me an email, erica.cummings at rbc.com. And we'll be telling you over the coming weeks about our new podcast that's starting. Thanks, Erica. Welcome. All right. We're going to give you the blueprint exactly what you need to do to solve your most troubling problems. James Whitaker joins us next. International best-selling author, speaker, entrepreneur, podcast host. He has interviewed more than 200 of the world's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and business leaders to unlock their secrets to success. James Whitaker, how are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, Sandy. So great to be here with you. Now let's let's get it out of the way first and foremost. Let's tackle the most important question: How is that little baby? <laughs> She's great. She, we actually bought her her first scooter the other day, so um, she has a little pink helmet and a little pink scooter. She's about 16 months old now, so she. Uh, she burns around very confidently uh, with this little scooter, which she's, you know, she's picking it up very quickly. And it's just adorable to watch because at the start, she gets very impatient trying something new for the first time. So now that she's she's got it, it's uh, it's just hard work for, for me trying to, to keep up with her. <laughs> 
And this is just the beginning. So the last time that you were on with us, it was a couple years ago. So it was before your daughter. And now how life has changed, huh? Oh, amazing. This, it's it's funny, isn't it? When uh, you realize some of the things that just happened through life. And I was actually over in Australia in December and January when the Australian uh, fires were on. And at that time, everyone's like, oh, how could 2020 get any worse? Mm-hmm. And um I mean, it has been an absolutely wild year, but I think it's really important for anyone listening to remember that you've just got to focus on what's in your control and and just get proactive. And it's really a good opportunity now just to adapt to whatever circumstances present themselves because there's there's so much more coming. Things like the technological tsunami that no one's talking about at the moment and obviously now this shift to remote work. So I actually think there's a lot of opportunities out there for people who are willing to receive them in the right mindset. And I, I feel like we need you and your message more now than ever because I, I I feel like and I think you would agree that people crave the positivity we crave harmony but yet we're surrounded by all this noise and we get pulled into it sucked into it oh it's in it's insane it absolutely is is crazy and it is a bit of a shame that all of this COVID stuff fell uh, you know, right on an election year. I've been in America now for eight years, so I'm acutely aware of the, you know, the hysteria that really comes out of, of things when there's an election, you know, a presidential election approaching. So it just seems that it's COVID and politics, COVID and politics. Yeah. And these are two of the most divisive emotional issues ever. Um, and, the, the, you know, the reality is with politics that there's 10% of people on each side that are just too far gone, you're never going to change their mind in a million years, yet people spend so much time arguing yeah. with strangers online or watching the news and, and things like that. So, I, yeah, it's um, we've, we've really made a conscious effort, first of all, of making sure we get that morning routine in place. So we've been waking up doing yoga. We've actually been doing cold showers, which sounds crazy but is absolutely amazing. And then on the weekends, we'll take our daughter to the the beach, which is just so nice to get out, uh, just to get outside and, and into some trees and away from technology. Yeah, yeah. We almost do have to unhook. And that's probably one of the big pieces of advice you're going to give us today. But with, you know, there being so many people who are kind of in that holding pattern, whether it's the chaos and, and stress of working and homeschooling or, you know, the people who one day they were kicking butt at their career and then all of a sudden the rug has been pulled out from underneath them. What message can you give them to pick them back up and help them move forward? Well, I think first of all, just it's really important to double down on self-care, especially in times like this. Go back to the basics, making sure that your first hour of the day is set up to make the rest of the day a win. These are little things that people don't talk about very often. So if you're feeling a little bit stressed, something like a gratitude journal can be can be great just to write down three three things that you're grateful for and three things that would make today a win. So making sure you, you wake up and really make the best use of that first hour of your day and, and really being proactive about what you want to achieve for that day. Because most people, like 99% of people, don't even know what success looks like that day. So I think as long as you start the day on the right foot and then you've got an awareness of the situation that you're in, so doing whatever you've got to do to to create that awareness of your circumstances, whether it's financial or career or whatever it might be, 
and then really thinking about where you want to go. And once you've got awareness and intent, that's what paves the way for action. And then that's then feeds back into how you spend the first hour of that day. And you can just put one foot in front of the other. Not every day is going to be amazing. And if you try and set a world record each day, you're just going to get burnt out. So I think uh, another part of that is just making sure that you give each day the best that you've got on that day rather than trying to set a, a world record. But, you know, go back to the basics, surround yourself with, with positive people, insulate yourself from negative news. And uh, a big one for me actually is trying to spend a lot less time around my uh, mobile phone. Yeah. I think that's a battle for a lot of people, right? We know that our phone is terrible, right? It feeds into the negative thoughts and, and whatnot, and it sucks us in. But when we disconnect, now we feel like we're disconnected. How do we find that balance? It's a really, really good question. So anytime that I'm that I'm with my daughter, uh, my phone is is generally in a different room. Just you know, she's 16 months old, and I, I don't love the idea of her getting hooked on devices. Even though realistically, it's pretty much inevitable for kids yeah. growing up that they're going to have this lure of of electronic devices. You can so, try to fight the good fight. We all have been there, James. But <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's funny because she's making me sing Baby Shark to her every every 30 seconds. So it's very hard to say no to that. So trying to say no to you know very real, far more addictive and uh, things like that are going to be are going to be tough but phones are things they're a great powerful resource I mean for things like creating content um, doing whatever you want to do it's a very very valuable resource but you need to have a time to disconnect Mm -hmm. so a a big thing to that I did earlier in the year just to give uh, people listening a a bit of a practical example I realized because it's been such a busy year for me on the work front that whenever I was having my time to disconnect I would look at my phone and I always had my the, the mailbox app on my iPhone at the very front of the on the on the front screen. So whenever I was trying to relax, I would always see that mailbox with the notifications. And I mean that just killed my productivity because I was having a every time I was having a break, I would end up thinking about work and doing work. So I actually deleted the mailbox app off my phone. That was just one change that I made that's enabled me to go and have a little bit of a, a bit of a break. So I think it's important to remember that there is a time to be connected and just as there is a time to be very disconnect, uh, very disconnected and waking up in the morning, it's not the time to grab your phone and right before bed, it's, you know, it's not the time to have your phone as well. And, and I think for the most part, if you're, if you're around really young children um, who are at a, an impressionable age, it's, it's funny, actually, our, our daughter will, will just grab her hand and push the phone away if, if we try to use it around Ooh. her anyway. <laughs> you know, something you said the last time you were on, and I, I it stuck with me, and I'm sure there's other people who would agree. You said, do not, the last thing you should do is answer emails at the beginning of the day, because you're just checking everybody else's to-do list. You're not That's checking right. off your own to-do list. Yeah, emails, they're like boomerangs. You send one and they, they keep coming back. So it's you get that instant gratification when you reply to an email because you think, hey, I've ticked something off my list. And when we wake up, that's what we want to do. We want to tick things off our list so it feels like a successful day. But emails are someone else's agenda for your time. It's not your time. So the time when you are the most productive, which for most people is going to be somewhere between um, – the first four hours of the day, making sure that's the time you allocate, that energy that you allocate then to doing the work that's going to move you closer towards your goals, not someone else's goals. So emails are, are about the biggest trap for everyone. Okay. So we, um, the last time we spoke, it was about your book, Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy. Now you have the latest one, How to Unlock the Awesome Power of You, Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, which by the way, is so cool that you were able to sit down 
with the manuscript of the conversation between two legends. Yeah, it's, it's, it was such a surreal experience being one of the first people to see a, a real raw account of this 1908 interview that, of course, spurned uh, or spawned rather uh, Think and Grow Rich, and you know, a whole, which is the best-selling self-help book of all time, which has gone on to influence pretty much every personal development that you see in the world today. So what we, what we did with this project was take excerpts from that original interview between Napoleon Hill, who at the time was just a young reporter, who was interviewing Andrew Carnegie, who came over from Scotland with barely anything to his name and was able to accumulate one of the greatest fortunes in existence. But I've gone in and added individuals and companies and a whole heap of references of very successful and happy people today who are doing such a great job, um, which I think a lot of people will, will take inspiration from. But a, a big misconception with the whole Napoleon Hill Carnegie journey was that they were after mere monetary gain and just financial success, which really isn't the case. So what we've really tried to do with this project is remind people that the greatest gift they were trying to give was to give people the ability to help themselves. They, Carnegie and Hill, both wanted to create the world's largest mastermind where people were doing work that they loved to create harmony in society and, and raise the standards of living for people everywhere. And when you look at it through that lens, it's a completely different book. And I really feel like it arrives at a time when we need it most, when you yeah. think about all of the social unrest and, and things that are going on in the world. And you said it's pretty much the blueprint to solving all of your troubling problems. So can you give us some of what we can put into action today? Some, you know, give us a piece of this blueprint that we can follow? Absolutely. Well, there, there are many things to it. So from an individual perspective side, harnessing the will to win is what the top 0.1% of every industry do differently. So that can only happen if you're clear on what you want. And once you're, once you're clear on what you want, that's what enables you to become resourceful enough to get all of the resources that you need to achieve that goal and resilient enough to continue when adversity inevitably strikes. Because it doesn't matter what goal you have, you will inevitably face adversity. Mm. And the difference between ordinary people and extraordinary achievers is how they respond to adversity when it inevitably strikes. We've got lessons in there like the golden rule that talks about the best way to find yourself is to actually lose yourself in the service of others. So these are, the, these are lessons that are so important now rather than trying to dictate to someone else what the world should be to actually ask questions and then listen listen intently listen without judgment to try and learn more about someone else's background and, and that's a great way that we can start to have this voice and this conversation to help um, you know, just become happier people in a, in a happier, more productive society, which is something that I really feel like we've lost in the last yeah. year. And then at a company level, I mean, anyone who's got a company or works for a company where you feel like you're not treated well, or you've spent too much time focusing on profit, there are companies mentioned in this book, like Costco, who pay their staff double the national average. 88% uh, of, their, of their staff have company-sponsored health insurance, and the stock has increased almost 400% in the last 20 years. So it's very possible to have a company that su succeeds very well from a corporate sense and a, a commercial sense and obviously profitability sense yeah. while also looking after their staff. Chobani is another great example who we mentioned in the book. Chobani is the, the big yogurt company who hit $1 billion in sales and gave 10% of the company away to its 2,000 employees. We're not talking about socialist communist stuff here. We're just talking about being a decent human because the, the people who are the most successful have an obligation to give back to those who aren't. 
Now, if you're stuck, though, in, a, you know, working for a company that you don't feel embraces humanity, quote unquote, as much as those other companies, but you're nervous. And, and this is a time of adversity right now. Everybody is, you know, working scared. And we talked about that in a few episodes ago that you shouldn't work scared. You should have your, you know, financial plan in place where you don't have to force yourself to work at a company just for the paycheck. But what do you say those people should do when they find themselves working for a company that not necessarily treats them as well as they should? How do you take that leap? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And my, my wife works for a company where she was a little frustrated about their um, maternity leave policy, where they, they talked a big game around ah, wanting yeah. to, you know, being one of the leaders of their industry. But the actual policy behind it was not great when they're talking about having more females in a leadership role. And I had spoken to her about the feelings that she had at the moment, the moment she goes back to work all of a sudden it's going to become less of a priority. So she really needs to think about what is she going to do to enact change in that company. And often that's actually a great way to be a leader and, and stand out. So I think using some of the examples of the companies in this book is a great way to bring it to the management of your company to say, hey, look, we have an opportunity here to retain our best talent, to attract the best talent and get a lot of uh, public relations exposure through some of the things that we're doing for example, some of these these companies. And I, I think also at an individual level, it's recognizing that the greater you are at identifying the problems people face, ideally most urgent problems people face, and if you can create solutions that solve those most urgent problems, then you will never have to worry about working for someone else ever again if you don't want to. Mm. You can be an entrepreneur and just really get good at offering solutions to the most urgent problems people face and just get better and better at asking the questions, at helping them reveal the problem and get better and better at upskilling your own ability so you can offer better solutions. You know what I loved about this book, too, and it was right from the start, the self-discipline is one key on this blueprint to solving all your problems. And it seems so basic. It seems so simple almost. But self-discipline was a, a big chunk of it. Massive, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really the first principle that we talk about in this book. And basically, the idea of self-discipline is without control over thoughts, we can't really have any control over our actions. And that's where... Uh, the lesson in that is to focus on consistency, not intensity. A lot of people who might have the best of intentions, an example might be, hey, I'm going to go and run a marathon because I want to get fit. But if you run a marathon on your first day, you're just going to end up in, a, in an ambulance or, or worse. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you focus on, like, it doesn't matter what the task is. Maybe it's something as simple as flossing your teeth focus on consistency, not intensity. And over time, that's what creates these habits, this, these positive habits, because there's also negative habits. People watching television, spending too much time on their phones and, and talking um, bad behind people's backs, like having mm -hmm. self-discipline to establish constructive habits, reinforcing it with consistency that's going to get you to your destination rather than intensity. And I think it's a simple mindset reframe that could help a lot of people. Yeah, and once you master that, pass that down to your kids. Get them in the habit of Definitely. living that way, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday about, about that from a personal finance perspective. A lot of people, they conflate um, love with wanting to give their children everything that they want. And if we want to raise strong children, we need to teach them that the word no is actually a really, really important, a really important um, word. So actually in, in the book, in Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, we talk about one of the best ways for the education system to change 
is to encourage children to enjoy the pursuit of increasing challenge rather than focusing on, on comprehension of, of facts and things like that. Okay, nice clean edit. I will isolate that, play that for my children later. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> all right, one final thing. Can you please tell me about this cold shower? Are you serious? That's going to make a big difference because I am too scared to actually do that, James. I know it's bizarre. It's really, really weird. So about four months ago, my wife and I, or about five months ago, my wife and I, I, I don't even remember what happened, but we said, you know what, let's try a cold shower. And the first time I did it, I lasted about eight seconds. <laughs> I was an absolute wimp and it was really, really embarrassing. And then I went, you know what, like a lot of people swear by this. I set my phone with a two minute timer and I had that outside the shower and so I could see it. And I knew that no, I'm, I'm very, very competitive, especially with myself. So I knew that once I could see that timer, there was no way I wasn't going to get to that two minute mark. And a funny thing happens, your body actually gets used to it after about 60 seconds. So now it's, it's absolutely no problem at all. But there's, there's two things I really want to clarify here. First of all, I never, ever, ever look forward to the cold shower. It's ah, always okay. a mental battle. But that's a great way because a lot of the, the branding and things that I do is focusing on winning the day. So I win the day when I make the step into the shower every single morning. It's a, a moment of adversity that says, you know what, I'm here to really, you know, basically plant my flag for the, for the day. So that's a big one. And the other one is that not all cold showers are created equal. So we live in Los Angeles. We went up to the mountains of Big Bear. And I tell you what, the first time we had a cold shower up there, it was like liquid ice coming out of this thing. So I know I know it's a bit colder where, where you are. So perhaps people can try it with a little bit of warmth. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be doing that in December. Like... <laughs> but did it really impact the productivity of your day? Did you really see a difference? Was it worth it? So I, I love a morning coffee more than anything. I have one coffee every single day. It's very, very important to me. And it's very important to anyone from Australia because coffee culture is really big there. Okay. And I thought that was the best thing ever. And I, I still have my, my morning coffee. But for, for sustained energy levels, I have not seen anything like the benefits that come from having a cold shower. So really? often I actually used to, yeah, I used to have a really big slump after lunch so somewhere between about 1 p.m and 3 p.m i just felt flat and i just attributed that to working hard in the morning or maybe i was eating too heavy or having too many carbs or something at lunch and i've noticed since doing the cold showers that i have sustained energy levels so i can get after it the entire day like for anyone who wants to give it a shot just do it for like one week or two weeks just see how you feel like even on weekends we we have that cold shower in the in the morning we never we, we haven't had a single warm shower in the morning since really and oh my yeah. gosh all right can i give everyone your cell number so they can swear at you when they're in the shower <laughs> that's right everyone can think of me when they're when they're freezing in their showers but also if you, if you have a hot shower at night time which we do yeah it is the best thing ever it feels ah. 10 times better uh, and it's amazing because I did I did try the cold shower before bed because I'd heard a lot of people talk about the benefits of that. I tried it and honestly, I, I didn't notice any change whatsoever. So I'm okay. sticking to cold showers in the morning and hot showers at night. We got to talk about the We Are podcast before we uh, let you go. 
Yeah, absolutely. We've got We Are Podcast coming up on the 5th and 6th of November. So we've got 30 of the best podcasters, entrepreneurs, and marketers from around the world. We've got people like Sandy Waters, who's going to be <laughs> speaking at this event, which is going to be amazing. So we've also got people like Keith Ferrazzi, who is the number one time, uh, number one New York Times bestselling author of books like Never Eat Alone. He's, he's probably the world's foremost authority on establishing high-level relationships and has been a huge influence on, on my career. We've got people like Jordan Harbinger, who's one of the most successful podcasters in the world. Uh, John Lee Dumas, I mean, who's got a seven-figure business from creating a podcast. Uh, a whole bunch of, of amazing people. The list goes on. Seriously, it's, it's massive. And um, tickets are available now at wearepodcast.com. Awesome. And this is for anybody who has an interest in, in the podcasting world? Yeah, if you don't have a podcast and you want to know the exact route to move forward, this is the place for you. Or if you have an existing podcast and you want to know how to monetize it or basically turbocharge it. I mean, we've got some of the best people in the in the whole world in the podcasting game. It's fully interactive. It's all done via video. We're gonna our last event had people from more than 15 countries. So if wow. you have any questions, you can ask these people questions and get an answer in real time. We're gonna be actioning these things in real time. So you'll get 10 times the, the price of registration, I think, from the first day alone. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sandy. Have a good day. James Whitaker. I'll put a link to his book, Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, in the show notes, and you can listen to his podcast, Win the Day. All right. We all want to set our kids up for success. So how do we get them thinking about the future and start saving now for retirement? Grab a chair. We're going to take a seat at the kids' table next. At the kids' table, teaching our kids the valuable lessons about money that they're not learning in school. Our money expert, CEO of Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham, is here to help us out. How are you, Susan? I am well. How are you, Sandy? Doing good. All right. Some parents are going to think we're crazy already starting the conversation with our kids about retirement, but you are going to explain why it is important to start that conversation early. First, though, we're going to listen in on what some of the kids think about retirement. How do you know you are ready for retirement? When you are about 55, I think that's the age, and you feel like you have enough money, you don't really feel like you need to work anymore, you feel like you can just do the rest of your life, and you have enough money. How do you know when you're ready for retirement? Uh, I feel like I don't. Well, I don't work anymore. I'm too old. How old is too old? Like 70. What's retirement to you? What do you think? Um, pausing your job for the rest of your life. When do you want to retire? Probably when I'm old enough to. What age do you think is old enough? 80. Uh, you know, I think the best definition of retirement I've ever heard is pausing your job for the rest of your life. That was actually a very mature response. Yeah, that again, I say this often to you when we do these um, segments. These kids are thinking about these topics and we need to get in front of what they're thinking and get them to understand some more information about it, like retirement. You know, what do people do to be successfully retired? Well, you know, it starts with getting a job to earn money, to pay for the things you want and need in life. Then a child could say, but what happens when people want to stop working and retired? Where's the money come from that they still need? Ah, it comes from savings. So during their entire working life, 
they need to put some money aside, pay themselves first, so that when they retire and they don't want to work anymore, that saved money works for them and helps them pay for the things they want and need in life. So see, it replaces your work and your paycheck with what you've put aside in savings. But how does saved money work for them? A lot of people will say that. Well, it does more than just sit there. It grows. It earns interest. It compounds. Remember we talked about that? How long it takes for money to double, rule of 72, 72 divided by the interest rate. Well, that's what happens to your savings. So every time you put money aside, it will continue to grow. It will continue to earn interest. And then you will earn interest on that interest through your entire lifetime. And then when you're ready to stop working, that savings starts to work for you. Because then that becomes the pot of money you use to live. Now, is it okay to start this conversation when they're young? Are there benefits to that? You can start any conversation at any age as long as you do it in an age-appropriate way. Because they're going to hear these messages. They're going to hear it. They're going to hear you complain about retirement. They're going to hear. You, they're going to hear you say, "I can't retire until I'm a hundred. Is it almost dangerous? to complain about retirement and say things like that? Because you're right, they're they're picking up on what we say and what we complain about, right? So if we complain about retirement, is that a bad thing? Do we have to almost watch what we say in front of the kids? Yep, I think you do. Um, kids pick up on our emotions more than we know. So when there is a crisis, a money crisis in the family, you have to be aware that that is being telegraphed to your kids and your job is to assure them because many kids, when I first started doing this and I was teaching kids in first grade um, and there was a housing crisis and a lot of kids were terrified that they were going to lose their home because they heard parents talking about it. And their big issue was if they had a pet, where will my pet go? If they had friends, will I ever see my friends again? So kids have big ears and they have the ability to tune into our emotions. So if we are anxious about retirement, we need to keep those conversations between ourselves and our partners. And if there's an issue that the kids can participate in, like doing more around the house so that you don't have to spend money on something that you could be saving money for, towards retirement, uh, then let them chip in. It gives them a sense of control. We forget that our kids are listening in and they're picking up on our uh, on our vibe when it comes to money and our relationship with money. And they translate yeah. the stress. Some kids, when I worked with um, a lot of these younger kids, they thought it was their fault. The anxiousness and the stress in their parents over money was their fault, something they'd done. So you do need to keep these conversations between you and your partner, but you have to recognize that if your kid's picking up on this, and they probably are, you have to have something to say to them. So you want to assure them. And at the same time, maybe teach them a good money lesson. If you need an example, use your own life. They love to hear about you. Use your parents' life, their grandparents'. They love to hear about that. So use the story approach to get their attention and to make it more concrete for them. 
and relatable. Susan, thank you as always. Where uh, where can we follow you and how can we find you and learn more about what you're doing? You can follow me at my blog, which is at susanbeecham.com. And you can find some Money Savvy Generations award-winning products and some free resources at moneysavvy.com. Perfect. Have a good weekend. You too. So much good stuff. As always, let me know if there's a topic you want us to cover in No Dumb Questions, if there's a a guest you want me to try to get on the show, or if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. Before we leave, today's Money Victory shout-out goes to Melissa Diane, who said, haven't put a dollar on any credit card in 10 months. Melissa, we are raising a glass for you. Cheers to Melissa and each and every single one of you who is proud to say that you're on your way to being a financially confident woman. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the 7 Figures Podcast. Click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. 7 Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union.